0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with Stuff Media and iHeartRadio and love all things tech. And today, dear listeners, we have something very special for all of you because you've become so accustomed to having... Your lonesome hero out there on the wastelands covering technology. Today I've got a partner in crime, Adam, Adam Dowd from Android Authority. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And you know what? I enjoy your your lonesome. Man routines, so I, I'm I'm just glad that I can contribute.
0: It's it's great. Uh, I have gotten very good at doing that tennis ball thing from Stalag Seventeen. That's a film reference. All you youngsters out there, go check that out. But uh, it's nice to have someone else to chat tech with. And just some background, guys. Adam reached out to me heading into CES. Originally, we had hoped to record a podcast. At CES itself, that didn't quite work out, but fortunately, CES
1: be crazy, yo. Yeah,
0: CES is nuts. You've heard me talk about it, and so um, how many CESs have you been to? Was this your first one, or had you been before?
1: This was my second one, but second they were one. three years apart. So my mm. first one was in 2016, and then I was supposed to go in 2017, got canceled last minute. 2018, I just couldn't swing it, and 2019. Blammo! Here we go.
0: So you've been twice. Uh, I've yes. been I've been ten times, uh, and that's not that's not me bragging. There are journalists who have been covering CES for longer than I've been alive. So, uh, this is not <laughs> bragging, but you you know it is it is a chaotic, busy. Uh, you know you're constantly running from one point to another. Experience S- nothing is close to anything else.
1: So many Ubers. So many Ubers. So many Ubers. So many
0: Ubers. And and you think, you look at a a map of the Las Vegas Strip and you think, it can't possibly take very long to get from there to there. Oh boy, can it take a long time to get even just a few casinos away? Uh, You might. You probably walk it at about the same time, but you're going to be exhausted when you get there.
1: My favorite story to tell regarding the distances between places in Las Vegas was this year I was at the Flamingo Hotel attending a robotics conference, which we will undoubtedly talk about shortly. Mm -hmm. And from there, I had to go to Pepcom, which was in the Mirage Hotel. Now, if you look at a map of Las Vegas, there's only it's only about a 10 minute walk from the Flamingo over to the Mirage. However, once you hit the front door of the Mirage, you have to walk another literally 10 minutes from the front door of the Mirage to the ballroom in the Mirage where Pepcom is actually being (laughs) held. And you just, you hate yourself by the time you get there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, part of this is because of the design of casinos, right? The whole idea is to try and entice people into gamble and to spend more money. So there's no easy direct path for a lot of these these sort of uh, uh, journeys you go through. You have to go through an entire casino floor and there's usually, like, that means diverting around some centralized area. Usually it's the, the high rollers suite or whatever in the middle. Or it's a, a restaurant or something. It's It's just, it's not, they don't make it easy to get around. And so we didn't get a chance to meet up during CES. But you were covering robotics at CES. It's a subject near and dear to my heart, which still remains human. Don't worry. But I thought we would talk, yeah, it's, well, you know, I gotta take that that test every now and then, uh, but we're going to we're going to talk about consumer robots uh, because I, I've covered robotics quite a bit on tech stuff, and I've talked about robotics from prototyping and military robots. I did the episodes about Boston Dynamics and how many years they spent just trying to get a robot to hop in a circle properly. We're going to talk about the consumer side of things and what you saw at CES because you were. Right there in the thick of it, whereas I was uh, I was in an ivory tower next to a clawed bathtub uh, next to my bed.
1: Uh, right. For reasons which
0: I I still don't quite grasp.
1: It's it it. you know what? It gives me a wonderful mental picture though. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I
0: did take a photo of me in the tub, but I was fully clothed and there was nothing <laughs> in the water in there. It was just I just I was like I, I I've gotta I've gotta experience this. <laughs>
1: Right. Oh, totally. Totally. So, yeah, just a little background. Um, I work for Android Authority, and we're all things, you know, smartphones and tablets and whatnot. But I was asked by my editors, you know, if you could take a look at, you know, anything else aside from, you know, smartphones, because CES, not really huge for smartphones to be honest. So no, you, you want to about
0: the Mobile World Congress or something for that.
1: Right. Right. Which is coming up in just a month. But so they asked me, you know, what else would you like to take a look at? Would you like to look at robots? And I said, sure, that sounds great. Let's do that. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a big Jetsons fan. I love Rosie. I love, you know, from, from Lost in Space, the robot. You know, mm-hmm. I love all that stuff. So I, I figured, let's go take a look at that. And then I realized, just how broad the robotics industry is and it's everything from autonomous cars to you know personal robots to Roombas to everything in between so I sat down with my editors and I said we need to focus (laughs) we need to we need to narrow this thing down a little bit and they said well what do you want to look at and I said I want something that'll bring me my beer (laughs) <laughs> Can we do that? And they said, absolutely, let's do that. So that's where I kind of ended up was looking at the robots that not the, not so much the ones that you snuggle with to help you to sleep, but the ones that will, you know, do things for you.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, one of the the robots that got a lot of buzz on the floor was a, uh, a clothes folding robot. And it didn't look anything – people, when they hear the word robot, I think more often than not, they're thinking of an anthropomorphic figure, right? Some human – Arms, vague, legs. Yeah. yeah. Vaguely human shaped. And uh, unless there's someone who's owned things like Roombas and that sort of stuff where they think, oh, no, robots can come in all shapes and sizes. This thing looked like it was a box. Uh, it looked like just a box that you put clothing in and it would bring you folded – it would you know spit folded clothing out. Yeah, and, I was there this year too. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that just tells you that robots come in all shapes and sizes and for all sorts of functions. And a lot of them are dedicated functions, like a very specific one function kind of robot, because as you learn more about robotics, you learn that the more things you want your robot to do, the harder it is to design the robot to do any of them well. Unless, of
1: course, you have a development community behind you that will build all these different skills for different robots. But I could be referring to another podcast that we might have just finished recording.
0: Yes, you you will definitely have to listen to that episode (laughs) over at at Android Authority because we talked a lot about the Misty robot platform and uh, we won't – go over that material here because i think it's really important you guys go out and check out that episode it was a great episode i really enjoyed being on it thank you by the way for inviting me to be on that show you are very welcome sir and and i think you guys out there tech stuff fans you should definitely go check that out because that'll be a nice compliment to this episode i thought i thought something that'd be fun to do this is just i'm just gonna run down a quick list of some of the famous consumer robots that have come out over the years and kind of give you an idea of the the ev- evolution of consumer robots over the past have couple of it. decades. So, Adam, I don't know how old you are. I am not going to ask you that question unless you feel comfortable mentioning it. I am of the tender age of 43 years old.
1: And, you got me by a year, brother.
0: All right, there we go. So you remember the 80s, Right vaguely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was a crazy time for all of us. But <laughs> so in the in the 80s, I remember distinctly. There there was one thing I really wish I could have asked for as a Christmas present, but I just I knew it was it was beyond my star as Shakespeare would say. It was something that was to be wished for but never owned. That was the infamous OmniBot. I don't know if you ever saw an OmniBot or you know what I'm talking about, the original OmniBot. Had sort of a dome like head. It was tiny. It was it was you know maybe two feet tall, maybe three. I don't think it was three feet tall. Probably two feet tall, and it had a cassette de- uh, tape player built into its chest. And you could actually put programming on cassette. You know, record a program onto magnetic tape on cassette, and put that in yes. its chest, and it would follow it. It would also just play regular audio cassettes if you wanted. So if you wanted to have your robot shred to ACDC, you could. Uh, and you should, I think, you know. For, <laughs> and you
1: absolutely for those, should.
0: For those about to bot, we salute you. And uh, you could also program it with a remote control. You could do voice commands over the remote control. And it was it was done as like a programmable robot that you could own. And I thought it looked phenomenal. These days, if you look at it, you're going to think, wow, how quaint. But right. that was an early example. and And, and by all measure, Of today's robotics. It was certainly a primitive example, but to a kid in the 1980s, this was the next best thing to having your own R2-D2 in your house.
1: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I was going to say Omnibot did kind of look like R2-D2's idiot cousin at the time. Yes, yes. (laughs) For for sure.
0: Uh, So this kind of leads into the next robot I want to talk about, which was the Robotic Operating Buddy or Rob. Rob was a justification to sell Nintendo entertainment systems. So when the NES first came out in the United States, stores did not want to carry a video game console because the 1983 video game crash in the United States had totally decimated that that market. Actually, decimated is the wrong term. That's just reducing it by 10%. That market was gone. Uh, So no one wanted to carry a video game console. So Nintendo, in an effort to make it more attractive to toy stores in the United States, had developed this accessory, this peripheral called Rob, that was a robot, and I use big air quotes on that, uh, (laughs) that would go along with the, the console. And it had maybe two titles that worked with the robot. And that was enough to get toy stores convinced to carry it because robotics was starting to become a thing, even though video game consoles no longer were really thought of as being marketable. And then, and it worked. Uh, And then as soon as Nintendo saw it was working, they dropped Rob because there was no reason to keep making this very expensive peripheral when they could just sell the video game console.
1: Uh, Right. Yeah, I was an Atari family, so we didn't really get into the whole Nintendo thing until much later. (sighs)
0: Same here, buddy. I was an Atari 2600 (laughs) owner, and uh, later on, I inherited an Intellivision. (laughs) Those were my early consoles. Uh, And then in 1998, we're skipping ahead a lot here, more than a decade. Actually, I guess I could argue 1985 was also when we saw an amazing robot in the uh, incredible documentary film Rocky IV. But... The less we say about that, the better. It's it, it wasn't really a consumer robot that anyone could just go out and buy unless you had a quarter of a million dollars on you. <laughs> right. So 1998, Lego introduced Mindstorms, the modular design system that allowed people to play with concepts of robotics and programming as well as robotic design, which was kind of cool. Uh, okay. 1999, Sony released the first Ibo robotic dog, which it continues to uh, iterate upon. So we occasionally see... New iBos that look more, I don't know if the word is realistic. It doesn't really look <laughs> more like a dog, but it looks less 1990s robot <laughs> style. Right,
1: um, which is an improvement, I think we can all argue.
0: I think so. 2002 was when we first got the Roomba. I didn't even realize it was that old. Uh, but yeah, iRobot, which had been making military robots up to that point. <laughs> Introduces a consumer vacuum cleaner robot in 2002. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the that's the the actual plot to uh, Terminator, but I I could be wrong about that. It's yeah, been a while yeah. since I've seen it.
1: Uh, well, you know, know, Roomba's mapping out all of our houses and sending them over yes, to uh, yeah yeah
0: yeah. So we have essentially was... like like Google Maps, except it's everybody's home because the Roomba's like Roomba's like this is a particularly tricky corner. I get stuck in this corner. Listen, it's because the way they have the chair set up. You just want to be aware of that. That's why
1: I live in a split-level house.
0: Uh, yes, yeah. I've got lots of, <laughs> of stairs in my home. There's no chance for a Roomba in my place, so I don't I don't yeah. own one. But then 2005, they came out with the Scuba, which was the mopping robot version. 2006 was uh, a, a robot that didn't – it no longer is in production. It's called the Dirt Dog. It was a robotic shop vac, but it was discontinued <laughs> in 2010. 2007, they introduced the Luge gutter cleaning robot, which was actually a remote control device – and then the Vero pool cleaning robot was also released in 2007. 2010, and I remember this because I was at this CES, was when Parrot Drone first showed off their their first quadcopter at CES 2010. That, mm. that I would argue is more of a radio-controlled device, but it 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 kind of figuratively and literally launched. The consumer drone craze, which later on developed into models that we saw have some at least uh, rudimentary robotic elements to it. Things like being able to follow a person around, right? Have facial recognition and following. seen some pretty cool ones. Uh, Sphero was first shown off in 2011. I remember that as well. 2.0 came out in 2013. And there are no shortage of robots at CES past and present. They range everything from the incredibly sophisticated, we're talking like autonomous car type technology, to things that are called robots but aren't really robots. They're more like fun little toys or sometimes just diversions. Like I think of like the little dancing flower. (laughs) It it, it detects audio and it starts to move. Like there are a lot of those as well. So, sure.
1: It, it's such a broad field. Like we mentioned at the, at, at the beginning of the show, yeah, there's just so much that you could consider robotics. One, one robot that you actually left out of your list, if you don't mind, this was, this was my robot sure. when I was a kid, was the uh, Radio Shack Armatron. I don't know if you remember that. That was a little robotic arm it sat on a pedestal had two little joysticks that you could use to manipulate the the claw on the yes, end yes. and it came with like a little little balls and a little box that you could open up and put the balls in the box. It was it was it was tons of fun. And we used that thing for days and days and days. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean I remember I never owned one, but I remember those as well. I remember when that came out and I remember thinking that was a really cool looking device. As, uh, from that same from that same sort of era of my childhood so yeah these are these are really the, we've seen an evolution of these products over the years like there's certain ones that are always going to be in that sort of di- diversion toy category and they're never sure. they're never going to get particularly sophisticated and that's fine because that's not their intention they're meant to be toys they're meant to be these fun little things that are not terribly expensive, that can do something vaguely entertaining. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Adam and I have a lot more to say about consumer robotics, but before we get into that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We've seen a lot of advances in other areas of consumer robotics technology, and uh, so I'm curious what was your experience covering robotics at CES? What were some of the things that you saw that really either stood out to you as being particularly interesting, or even if there was something that was maybe confounding, or, you know, you're just like, I don't, I don't even get what they were going for with this, because sometimes you run into that too.
1: Oh, sure. Oh, definitely. One of the, I think one of the coolest robot, uh, one of the, things that just overall impressions that I came away from CES with was I was kind of surprised how far we already are. Because Mm. I saw legitimate consumer products that someone could go out and buy and have driving around their house. Now, you'd have to be rich. You'd have to be a lot more rich than I am. But you could still have this robot driving around your house and, you know, following you with music or bringing you drinks, things like that. One robot in particular that stood out, there were two really that I think were really kind of creme de la creme. But the one that really stood out to me as being a little bit more realistic at this day and age would be the Temi robot, which was kind of like... Um Kind of like a rolling serving tray that could could roll around. It would, uh, in theory, it would meet you at the door when you came in. It would not play Stone Cold Steve Austin's <laughs> intro music, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: big big, but big check against that robot. But right, all right. right. So that's the
1: one. That's the one box that didn't get checked. But it it did have an integrated wireless charging dock that you could set your phone down on it and start charging your phone as soon as you walked in the door and then it would follow you. It had a tracking software where you could turn away from it and walk away from it and it would follow you around. And what was really cool was if someone walked in between you and the robot, it didn't freak out. It was able to pick you back up and keep following you. And you could ask it, you know, various Alexa type things. How's the weather outside? How's, you know, what's my schedule for today? Stuff like that. It had a screen so it could show you what was uh, what you wanted to see. It could play videos for you, things like that. And it had a tray on the back so you could, you know, set, set things down and have it carry it around for you. I don't know if you were particularly lazy, but this this robot kind of stood out to me just because it, it, it was the type of robot that I could see myself using if I had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, so I won't. But it was it, that's what really kind of stuck out to me is this is something that I could see in 2019, a home actually having in it and not being stupid,
0: right? if that yeah. makes sense. And that, that's, that's a legit thing, though. I mean, like, we're getting to a point where the technology is reaching a level of sophistication where we can actually see... Applications beyond that very singular approach. Uh, Every time time you want a robot to do something in addition to whatever its primary function is, you've just increased the complexity of the build, uh, the complexity of the software, sometimes the complexity of the interface. And obviously you can only do that for so long before it gets unmanageable. And uh, uh, absolutely, or, or the robot's just crappy at everything, right? It's just <laughs> you, you can't like. Sure, it in theory can do all these things, but it doesn't do any of them well, and it's more frustrating to use than if I just did them myself. That that's it's a hard barrier to get past because it requires so much sophistication from multiple uh, perspectives, from multiple starting points. It's
1: funny you should mention that because since CES, since I was covering robotics at CES, I was particularly interested in robotics. And as part of my daily tech news roundup podcast, I I reported on a hotel in Japan who was retiring half of its 230 some robotic workforce, mainly because the people required to keep those robots on task basically were made it kind of silly to have the robots themselves. So people would like walk up to this robot and say, where can I catch a cab? And the robot would be like, I have no idea what you just said. And then people would say, well, where's a good place to eat? And the robot would be like, I have no idea what you want. And so they ended up having to turn to a person to answer those same questions. Mm-hmm. Because once again, these pe- the people that were coming into the hotel had this expectation that a robot will be able to answer whatever questions that I should have. Personally, I think they should have just replaced it with a Google Home and called it a day. But you know, what yeah. we, beggars can't be choosers, I suppose. But they actually had to retire half of their. They actually had the the term used in the article was laid off their <laughs> half of their robotic workforce because they had to have so many people supporting those robots that it was it made it silly to have the robots in the first place.
0: This this is the robotic equivalent of using a vacuum on a carpet and you're running it over a piece of fluff that's on the carpet and the vacuum runs over it and you pull the vacuum back and the fluff is still there. So yeah. you push the vacuum over it again, you pull it back, it's still there. You bend down, you pick up the fluff, you put it back down on the ground, you roll <laughs> over it with the vacuum cleaner, and you're, just, you're, you're spending so much time just trying to get the thing that does the thing to do the thing that you could have just done the thing yourself. Um, I was
1: really hoping that you were going to talk about picking up the fluff and then putting it back down because yeah, everybody does it's that. Exactly.
0: It's a universal experience. I think just about everyone who's ever used a vacuum cleaner has done this thing where they've... You know, it's not just pick up the fluff and throw it away. It's, no, this vacuum cleaner is supposed to do this thing, and I'm going to keep at it until it works. Uh, Yeah, we've all had that experience. So seeing that with robotics, it's it's absolutely the same sort of thing, just on a, a different application. The thing that really impressed me by what you were saying was the idea of a robot that can follow a specific person and not... Uh, be able to not lose its way if something breaks its line of sight, like if someone else comes in between it. And the reason why I say I find that really interesting, I went to a talk at South by Southwest a few years ago. And the person giving the talk that it was all about robotics. The person giving the talk was talking about how they were teaching a robot how to open a door. And this is a non-trivial problem because we we don't have a single standard for doors in the human world. There are (laughs) all sorts of all the different kinds of handles. Some of them you have to push something specific so that the door will unlatch and you can open it, or you have to turn a doorknob, or you have to press down on a, a little thumb lever, whatever it may be. And there's pushing versus pulling. There's all these sorts of uh, different features that could be in place for any given door. And so we humans, we encounter this once or twice. We can then extrapolate in other situations and very quickly figure out how to use a door, even if we've never gone through that, that specific door before. Robots, right. Robots are not good at this. Robots typically can do what you program them to do. And even with machine learning, they have to go through lots of training in order to actually learn what the the quote-unquote correct approach is. And so she talked about how they had this robot and they were training it how to open doors, different doors. And the robot would sit motionless, staring at a specific door they had in this one hallway in their research facility. And it would just be processing this image for hours at a time, just just staring at a door, one thinks <laughs> wistfully perhaps, but that's projecting, And right. before it ever makes an attempt. And the problem, one of the many problems, was that if someone were to walk down the hallway and break the line of sight between the robot and the door, that would confuse the robot. And it would just effectively increase the amount of time it would require to study the door before it could make an attempt. So... Right someone just walking down the hall could mess up an entire experiment or at least make it go on twice as long as they had intended because of that unexpected uh, interruption in line of sight. So to have a a consumer robot that is capable of following a specific person, even if that line of sight is broken, is a a phenomenal achievement. It doesn't sound like it because we, to us, as humans, that's easy. But to machines, that's
1: very hard. But think about it. You're spending all this time trying to teach a robot how to open the door. That's also very simple. It's something that we do dozens of times every day. And the thing about technology, or at least this is how I am with technology, is I will get a new piece of technology and I will start pushing those limits because I want to know exactly where those borders are. Mm -hmm. So if you have if you have a device that can watch Netflix, fine, I'm going to ask for a very specific episode of a very specific show on Netflix. And if you can't serve that up to me, okay, I know that That's my limitation. I can have you open Netflix, but I can't ask for you to play episode three of season two of Stranger Things. I'm gonna know that. Mm -hmm. So and and that's the thing is if I get a robot in my house, oh my lord, I'm going to be pushing so many boundaries, like go get me a beer. Okay, you can't do that. Okay, so go to the refrigerator. Okay, you don't know where the refrigerator is. Okay, follow me. And and then we're gonna figure out and then the problem is is that you're eventually gonna get down to a point where you're just like, Well, why do I have this thing? Can't do anything. Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest obstacle that robotics and roboticists are facing, especially when it comes to consumer applications.
0: Sure. Yeah, there's so many things that go into designing good robotics in general. Uh, everything from just the the mechanics of how the robot moves. That is. Uh, that's a that's an art form unto itself people spent years trying to do things like replicate the way a biological leg works in order to have a robot that can walk on two legs the the, the grand darpa challenge of a few years ago where the robots were uh, doing a rescue mission a simulated rescue mission as if it were in the uh, the wake of a, a fukushima disaster okay they they had they were using legged robots. They, the reason they did was because the robot had to be able to do multiple things that humans can do, including operate a vehicle, get out of the vehicle, open a door, go through the door, pick up a power tool, use it, all this other stuff. So the that, that meant that the robots had to f- fall into a certain area of design. Well, <laughs> building a robot that can move the way a human can... Before you even get to the software part, just building the complexity necessary in the robotic limbs is incredibly complicated. That's why we see a lot of robots that rely on things like wheels. That's much easier to implement than limbs. And, uh, you know, it also, and when we talk about easier to implement, that also means it brings the price down, which makes it more accessible as well. You can't, you couldn't have a Boston Dynamics big dog style robot on the consumer market. It would cost a million bucks at least. Right. So you you go much more simple. We've got a little bit more we're going to say about consumer robotics. Uh, Really excited for you guys to hear this episode. But before we get into that, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. So anytime you're making a consumer robot, you have to start with these considerations, like how complicated are, is the machinery going to be? That alone is going to impact the the price I'm going to have to charge for this thing if I want to have, even if I just want to recoup cost, that's before I even think about profit. Sure. Then, then what is it supposed to do? How am I going to make sure it does that really well, well enough so that it justifies the purchase of the robot? Uh, these, yeah. are, these are all tricky things. So... You saw this this uh, robot that could follow people around. I, I know what I would use it for if I could program it. I would program it so that it would hold my phone in the morning. And my phone is what I use as my alarm clock. So okay. I, have, I have my alarm clock set on the robot. When my alarm goes off and, and it, the robot sees me stirring in bed, it knows to just slowly back away so that I have to get up to go <laughs> after the phone because that guarantees I actually get out of bed and get on my way. And that – so it's the opposite of what it would normally do. Instead of following me, it's retreating a little bit. That's a pretty crazy niche case, but we'll go with it. (laughs) You know, I mean it's – to me, it's like – it means that I actually get started in my day. So really when you think about it, my time is invaluable. So – There you uh, go. uh, That's uh, how we'll
1: justify it it to the IRS. (laughs) Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And (laughs) as long as
0: I count it off as a work expense, everything's cool, right? All right. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm kidding, IRS. I don't own a robot. So what else did you see at CES?
1: So uh, actually getting back into the the concept of walking robots and as opposed to wheels, there was a robot there by a company called Ubitech, which is actually appropriately named Walker. And it's called Walker because this is a robot that walks around. It's similar to that Sony robot whose name escapes me that fell down on stage famously back, oh, in, right, the, right. back in the late 80s, early 90s. Similar look to that, but this is a robot that's about, I want to say it was about four and a half feet tall. So it's a pretty big robot, too, that can walk around. And they put on a demonstration for me where, and granted, this is a very specific set of steps that were set up to demonstrate the, the robot's capabilities. But basically what it did was it came to the door to greet you mm-hmm. and it took your coat, hung the coat up on a wall. And then, oh, it should I should also mention it opened the door before before you walked in then it followed you to the middle of the room yeah the demonstrator went down and sat on the couch so it went and got a a, a tasty beverage out of the refrigerator opened the door of the refrigerator pulled out the pulled out the can of i think it was soda or whatever and then closed the refrigerator went over and picked up a can of chips that come in a can that will go nameless but it rhymes with Flingles, Got and it. then brought it over, and then brought it over to the guy on the couch, and it said, "By the way, you have a hot date coming up tonight, but it's <laughs> supposed to rain. Can I get you your umbrella?" And it said, "Yeah, I'd love you to get your my, my umbrella." So then it walked over and picked up the umbrella, came back, and handed over the umbrella, and shuffled him out the door. So I mean, it was a it was a lot of very complex motions that it had to get down now you could tell that this was a very specific demo um there there were targets all over the floor uh like barcode looking targets that kind of told the robot this is where this item will be so it didn't really have to know where all this stuff was, or i should say it didn't have to find all this stuff. It already knew where all this stuff was. Right. So, you know, you know, the soda was put in a very specific place. The Pringles were put in a very oh, I said the name. <laughs> we we're put in a very specific place. Um, the umbrella was in a specific place, yada yada, yada. So but still, it the fact that this robot was up and around and walking and talking and not falling over, did a little dance at the end of a demo, so that was kind of cute. It was it was very Apparent that, first of all, this is going to be a very expensive consumer model mm-hmm. when it does when it does come out. I was talking with one of the PR guys, and they anticipated that as the technology evolves, the cost will eventually come down to a place where it's reasonable for, I don't know, not me, but people. Affluent
0: but, people, yeah.
1: Right. But the fact that this is on legs means that it can handle stairs, it mm-hmm. can handle, you know, my split-level house wouldn't bother it all that much. And it has, you know, uh, fingers, you know, manipulatable digits and the thumb so it can pick up things and carry them around. So it's a lot more potentially farther down the road useful than something like a Temi, which is basically a rolling serving tray. Mm-hmm. But it's also because it's that much more complicated, you know that the costs associated with that are going to be. Huge, at yes. least to
0: start. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and the idea of having the the barcodes there to give the robot the points of reference it needs to in order to do the demonstration, uh, that is not surprising to me. It is incredibly challenging to create a robot that is capable of not just sensing its environment. That part we've got that down. You know, we've got amazing sensors out there where robots right. can tell when they're getting close to say. Uh, an obstacle of some sort. But to be able to do pathfinding that's far more challenging and requires mm-hmm. a lot a lot of uh, artificial intelligence. You may remember Azimo, uh, the robot that uh, Honda made years and years ago. And okay. it, fantastic, it was the first robot that could ever run, and by run it means that at and, and part of its gait both feet are off the ground for a split second. So okay, its yeah. run actually looks like it's doing a weird little hoppy jog. Kind of like <laughs> – I always thought that it looked like Osimo really needed to use the facilities. That maybe there's Now, a to WD4 be fair, John then
1: Yeah, you've never seen me run either. So okay, that's let's fair. not judge, I'm not, OK? I'm not,
0: not so much passing judgment <laughs> as I'm just making an observation. Uh, I wrote how Osimo works, so I had to watch a lot of video of it. And, yeah. uh, but, but as amazing as the robot was, and it truly was remarkable – it required uh, programmers to work very closely with it so that it would follow pre-programmed routes. It could climb stairs, it could descend stairs, it could run, but it had to have all of that environmental information programmed into it ahead of time so that it would know what route to take. It could not make that determination on its own. You couldn't put it at the entrance of a room on one side and say, exit the room on the other side. You would have to program that route into the robot. And, okay. you know, we're slowly moving beyond that. We're moving to the point where artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, pathfinding technology, all of these sort of things are getting more sophisticated to the point where we might be able to, to have robots find numerous ways to get from point A to point B, you know, the most efficient or most effective ways, the most power efficient ways, whatever it may be. Uh, we're, yeah. getting, we're getting to that point, but it it's a very difficult problem to solve not just for robotics, but for artificial intelligence in general. So For sure, for sure. So I give a lot of slack to companies for these sort of demonstrations because they typically are saying, here's one element of this technology that has really come a far way, and here's how we're envisioning it in the future. And... Meanwhile, you have this other set of of challenges you still have to overcome before that's truly achievable, but you want to be able to show something off, right? Right,
1: exactly. It's important to recognize the advances that have been made while recognizing that, you know, there's still a long way to go.
0: Exactly. It's It's like concept cars at a car show. You know, when you see a concept car, that is not what you're going to see on a show floor at your car dealership down the road. You're Right. Almost, you're almost certain not to see that exact same design. But elements of that are going to find their way into cars down the line, hopefully, and that you'll get the best implementation of those ideas in future models of cars. Same sort of thing here. These demonstrations we see, they're meant to wow people and they're meant to show off, yes, we've come a long way in this particular fashion. We still have a ways to go, but we want to make sure we're inspiring people because that helps drive the development process. Otherwise if if there's no interest, no one there's if there's no interest there's no money. If there's no money there's no right. development. So Well, and
1: it's also it also should be mentioned that a lot of the capabilities that robots have today are also contributing to other advancements that have been made outside the field of robotics. Sure. So You know, for example, the the software algorithms that a robot can use to find the path from A to B that can also be used in autonomous driving that can also be used in even something like, you know, warehouse picking, you know, finding various products within within a warehouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was another robot that I saw also by UbiTech that was designed to be more of a retail presence where it would greet you at the door and you would say, you know, you're at Home Depot. I'm here to get a hammer. And then you would push the hammer button and it would take you over to where the hammers are. And then it would show you a video on why this hammer is the best. So a lot of that stuff that is integrated into that robot is also going to be used in, you know, various AI applications and location finding. You know, who knows? It might even be used to implement like in a sort of indoor GPS type system. It's, It's 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 it's. one of the great things about technology is that everything helps everything.
0: Oh sure. So yeah. So
1: if you make if you make an advancement in, you know, A, it will also help in B, C, and D.
0: And as you get more of these robots out in the real world and you're able to get data on how they're doing, then obviously that can go into the design process to make the next generation of robots better or more yes. effective, or to do firmware updates to improve the operation of robots that are already out there. Um, did you get yeah. a chance to see uh, the Samsung robot that takes your pulse and tells you if you're healthy or or not or dead? Or <laughs> I saw I
1: saw the demonstration at the press conference. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually get a chance to go face to face with it, as it were. Usually, but...
0: usually things that are at that level are normally hands off. I found at Yes, right. Yeah, typically it's like you might see a couple of of friendly semi-approachable handlers (laughs) who will be happy to answer questions as long as you keep your filthy mitts off of it.
1: (laughs) And they'll be happy to put their fingers on the fingerprints reader. Yes,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: But, you know, the thing about Samsung and, you know, Samsung released, I want to say it was four different bots Mm. at at CES this year. They had the Samsung Bot Care, the Bot uh, Retail, the Bot Air, And I want to say there was maybe it was only three anyway. But one thing that I thought was really interesting about the fact that they introduced three different robots was they're kind of tacitly admitting that right now this robot is designed for your health. And that's it. This robot is designed for a retail experience. And that's it. And this robot is designed to test the quality of the air in your house or filter the air in your house. And that is it. So it's one of the biggest complications, especially when it comes to consumer robots, is finding that robot that can do 100 different things because you don't want a robot that's just going to back away from you when your alarm's going off. You're yeah. going to want a robot that'll back away from you when your alarm's going off. Then it'll go get your toothbrush and your toothpaste and then get the paper from out in front. I'm just kidding. Nobody reads papers anymore. <laughs> but then you want it to go, you know, make start making your breakfast, turn on the oven for you. Stuff like that. You want a robot that's going to do all those different things. And Samsung's robots were designed for you know, pretty much you have one job to do.
0: Yeah, and again, by focusing on the one job, you can try and make sure you're making a thing that does what it's supposed to do really, really well. But as oh, as you as you point out, no one wants to sit down and say, "Yeah, but do I want a hundred things that do the one thing really, really well and clutter up my house? And my house just becomes house of robots. And really, at that point, it just becomes <laughs> how can I get another outlet installed so I can charge everything? You know, it it gets to a point where you start to ask well is this useful enough to be worth the investment it would take for me to have it in my life and right. we're we're still we're still at that level where that's still going to be a struggle and uh, again it comes into play with how complicated this whole approach is in the sister episode to this one the one that we did on on Android authority we talked a bit about misty and I'm really not going to dive into it here, but just to give a quick hint to my listeners what that's all about, uh, Misty, they were creating a robot development platform, Not not just a robot, although they did build that too. They created a platform for developers to create different applications that the robot could potentially do and thus open this up to a much broader array of developers. It's no longer just an internal team that is part of a single company that is trying to, you know, suss out, well, how can we make the robot do this one thing really well or do this second thing just as well as it does the first thing? Now it's opened up to an entire community with a a sort of open source approach almost to to really see where the limitations are, almost like what you were saying earlier, thinking I have this this practically a blank slate in front of me. What's the most out there thing I can make it do, and then you start seeing all these different applications arise as a result of that, that could go a very long way into getting closer to the robot that can do a hundred things as opposed to the robot that does the one thing.
1: And the overlying philosophy behind the Misty 2 robot was to take an almost Amazon Alexa type approach where you can download different skills depending on how you want you know, what you want your robot to do. And that was kind of the, you could tell Misty was really taking a long view um, in, in terms of that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, but that that was an indication of Misty taking the long approach. The It's mm-hmm. a marathon, not a, splint, a sprint approach. So you could go buy a robot. And the, the one of the beautiful things, like you were saying before, is, you know, you could take a robot and you can say, what's the most out there thing I want it to do? Well, Misty's approach is to, send out 500 different robots to 500 different developers and have them each ask the question, what's the most out there thing I could imagine this robot doing? And then they'll build it on their own. Mm-hmm. And then you'll suddenly have a robot that's capable of doing 500 different things depending on what you want to download. Right. And that's a really compelling thing about the Misty 2 platform.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, uh, that approach. It is something that uh, I, I think it's going to take a few generations for us to really... Uh, see what truly stands out. I mean, I'm guessing that the Misty team, when they see these different approaches, they're going to say, you know, when we develop the next uh, next generation of this particular platform, we're going to change the design slightly because we've noticed a trend towards such and such. And we just think Mm -hmm. that by changing the form factor a little bit, we will... Facilitate that in a better way, and that's a really cool organic approach to developing consumer robotics. And uh, so we've seen we've seen both. We've seen the very focused approach where we're going to go for something that's not going to be terribly expensive. It's going to do one thing reasonably well. I mean, I would argue the Roomba is a great example of this. It's you know it's it's not cheaper than a vacuum cleaner, but it does automate that process. And if you have the money and you have the right kind of space for it, my house would be hopeless. I live in a townhouse. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to have except for the fact that I'd have to own three of them <laughs> and then right. I'd have, to have all my doors open all the time. Yeah, uh, it just would. Uh, it does, it's not practical for my use, but for the right type of home, you could see you can make the the use case argument for it. And sure, I think absolutely. I think that's I think that's fine, and we're going to keep seeing those. We're going to see improvements of those over time. But I like also this more almost experimental approach where we're going. We don't know what we're going to get yet, and that's the beautiful thing about it. Uh, yeah, it's great, it's to, the great to see thing. a company embrace that.
1: It's the beautiful thing. And it's the scary part because sure, you don't yeah. know, you know, it, it's the type of thing where it could very easily blow up. But I just think that based on what I've seen so far, and you'll have to listen to the first episode to like really get into what we're talking about in terms of like the developer community that they're building, they've really got the right approach and I'm very optimistic about what Misty's going to be doing in the future.
0: I'm, I'm really excited to see as well. I, uh, I was thrilled to hear about it since I didn't get the chance to go to the uh, the robotics parts of the show floor. Uh, my CES experience this past year was much more limited than it typically is, uh, mm-hmm. for for better and for worse. The better being, I didn't feel like I was had been through a 12-round fight with a championship boxer every day, which is typically how I feel at the end of a day at CES. But uh, the bad part is I had a very limited amount of stuff that I got to see. Uh, in person, although I got to hear about a lot of really interesting stuff while I was there. So
1: And now you've heard about more of it.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you were able to join the show and to give us your experience, your insight on this topic. And it, it was a pleasure having you on. It was also a pleasure being on on your show, Android Authority. So, Adam, please, please tell my listeners where they can find your great work well thank
1: you um i am i actually am a podcast producer over with the digit studios which is associated with android authority obviously we've already talked about the android authority podcast which i think would be a wonderful it would be wonderful for your listeners to come over and take a listen to um i think even more appropriate for your more general look at technology in general is our digit daily podcast which is a podcast uh, produced by me and one other one other uh awesome dude named sam we we do a daily podcast which is all the tech news that you need to know and it comes out every day right around noon central time because i live in central time and that's how i roll so it's based on a it's based on our newsletter which is also really cool they worked we work very well with the newsletter team we work together we kind of prop each other up it's really cool so i actually think that with the more generalized nature of your audience i think the digit daily would probably be a a good fit and I think the Android Authority would be an awesome fit for those who are interested in mobile technology because we break down the all the top news of Android every week so it's uh, it's a pretty great uh, it's a pretty great thing we've also got since you mentioned parrot earlier in the episode we also uh, the third person on our Android Authority team is uh, Jonathan Feist, who runs Drone Rush, which is also a sister site for Android Authority. So he's all drones all the time. <laughs> Gotta love it. It's a really it's a really diverse group that we have over there.
0: Excellent. Yes, I, I urge my listeners to go and check out those shows and those sites because. It's always nice to run into other people in the field who have the same sort of passion for tech, whether it's a very specific niche in tech or a general approach to tech. It's just great to find communicators who really uh, love it and they love sharing that enthusiasm and that knowledge with an audience. I, I value that quite a bit, so it's great to. I agree. I
1: this has been really fun.
0: Yeah, we'll have to do it again soon. And, uh, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> we, hey, please do. I mean, I'm always happy to have someone to, to chat with on this show. And uh, goodness knows, I'm, I'm going to be having some fun episode topics coming up in the near future. Uh, there's uh, a, a great spy story. Not, And by great spy story, I mean a terrifying story about surveillance that I'll be covering pretty soon. That doesn't even have to do with a uh, facetime. i'll I'll be doing that one as well. So there's a couple of surveillance
1: say, episodes. Oh, you're doing a FaceTime episode. That's great. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'll be doing one of those as
0: well. But the other one is uh is unrelated to that, not or at least not directly related to that. But we'll get into it later this week when I sit down and and dive into this seedy, dark world of spies. But uh, that wraps up this episode of tech stuff. If you guys have any questions or you have, uh, suggestion for a future topic. Maybe there's someone you want me to have on the show. Maybe you're all thinking, can you please get Adam back on here? I definitely want to hear that. I know Adam would love to hear that too. So you can write me. The email address is at com. You can pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You'll find the archive of all the other episodes there. You'll find the ways to contact me on social media over there. And also, don't forget to check out our merchandise store. That's over at tpublic.com slash techstuff. Every purchase you make goes to help the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.